Welcome to the Backdrop, Untold Stories in Golf. I'm your host and co-founder of New Club Golf Society, Matt Considine. Fitness. You know your golf game needs it, and that's why with golf season now kicking into full gear, we invited onto the show an expert in the field of sports and exercise science, specifically golf fitness. Mike Carroll, founder of Fit for Golf, joins us on the Backdrop. Today's episode of The Backdrop would not be possible without our friends and partners from Golf Blueprint, Journeyman Distillery, True Temper, and this Memorial Day weekend's NV5 Invitational. The NV5 Invitational presented by Old National Bank will return to the Glen Club in Glenview, Illinois on May 26th through 29th. This Corn Ferry Tour event features golf's future stars competing for a spot on the PGA Tour. I went out to this event a few years ago and watched Scotty Scheffler put together a beautiful round at Chicago Highlands to win the title. As you know, he now sits atop the World Golf Rankings while wearing the green jacket. This tournament is simply where you go to see who's coming next, up close and personal. All proceeds will benefit the Evans Scholars Foundation and deserving youth caddies. To purchase tickets, volunteer, or find more information, visit nv5invitational.com. Without further ado, on to the show. Mike Carroll, welcome to The Backdrop. Thank you very much for inviting me, Matt. I'm happy to uh, to join you and have a conversation. Yes, this is going to be uh, a good one. I, um, you know, you, you're the founder of Fit for Golf, and I know some members that that use your app. And I'm a follower. I don't use it today, but maybe after this conversation, I might. Um, but I'm a follower of yours on on Instagram. And uh, you know, I had this awakening recently with a group of our members as we're all looking at our golf schedule, and we we all kind of realized that our golf schedule doesn't necessarily match our fitness level currently. And, uh, and I thought it was a great time to have an expert on, you know, in, in the golf fitness space. So thank you for joining us. Yeah. My pleasure. Before we get to your expertise, um, you are from Cork, Ireland. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah. Very, very proud Cork man. Now, is there anything but a very proud Cork man? No, definitely not. That's kind of the joke. Like, uh, yeah, anybody who's from Cork loves Cork, and they'll they let you know about it. So, so some folks who listen to the podcast know I spent a year over there in 2005 in uh, college. Oh, in, and in UCC at UCC. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's about a 10 minute drive. It's only a couple of miles from where I grew up. Okay, so you grew up in the city. Yeah, I yeah, just outside the city in a suburb, a place called Douglas. Spent a lot of time around UCC though, and. Um, yeah, I, I used to run track and field and cross country in high school. And one of the places we used train was on the track in the Mardike Arena, which is in the UCC grounds. So, yeah, I know the place really well. Uh, describe Cork for those that, that have not been. First off, you you enunciate better than anyone I've ever met from the city, from Cork, because it's like, a, it might as well be a foreign language when I went to school there. I mean, I couldn't, I, I thought everyone was just giving me a hard time. Like I thought everyone was just speaking gibberish just to mess with me. I was like, oh no, this is the accent that I just, I'm just not picking up. Apparently it's English, but I couldn't tell. You, my friend, must've gone to the best grammar school in town. Absolutely not. I went to, uh, to the nearest public school to my house. And if, if you heard us or definitely some of the people in there talking would be very much like what you heard, uh, when you were there, 
I suppose it's just I've been five years in the US now um, talking to, you know, a primarily American audience. So if I didn't, um, you know, water it down a little bit, I'd just be constantly repeating myself, which was the case when I moved here first. Does, does, I don't know how often you get home, but um, I remember when I was there, they had this giant billboard in town, the town center uh, that said the real capital. And I think it was like a Budweiser ad, but it was just shot at Dublin. Is there still a very aggressive uh, relationship with the folks from Dublin? Yeah. Like it's, it's just, uh, it's a joke. It's funny, really. Like, so Dublin is the capital, but people from Cork would say the real capital. Yeah. Uh, I just love that. I love that. Final court question for you. Did you grow up playing any Gaelic sports? You were, a, you said track and field. Did you play any Gaelic sports? Yeah, I played, um, I played quite a bit. I actually still play uh, here in the US. So I played in uh, Douglas GA club, which is basically the town that I grew up in. I played hurling and football, much more football. Um, I played hurling until I was about 14 and played football right up into my twenties. And I still play here in, in Orange County with a, a team called the Orange County Wild Geese. So we play, we play hurling and football here. It's, it's really cool. We um, play like some kind of leagues against teams from San Diego and Los Angeles who are nearby. And then we go to a couple of tournaments throughout the year where we compete like against basically other GA uh, Gaelic clubs around the U S there's just so many people leave Ireland and, you know, whenever they come together, there's kind of a, a GEA, as we would call it, club set up. And um, there's a lot of Americans getting into it now too, which is cool. It's it's definitely growing here. Yeah, I, I, it's it's funny. New, new club, the, the club that we're associated with, would not exist if it weren't for my sad attempt to play Gaelic sports. Oh, really? And, and in that same Mardek arena, I tried to play with the hurling club. So not the Cork County team, which are, you know, some of the best hurlers in the country, but I tried to play with the, the college club team. And uh, I didn't know it at the time, but I waltzed out there with a camogie stick, which is for those listeners that don't know hurling, it's the female version of, of hurling. Yeah. And so I, I didn't know I had a, a, a woman's, you know, um, it's not a stick. So apologies for the term, but whatever the yeah yeah we call it a stick yeah. yeah okay, and uh, and I waltzed out there and I got the crud just kicked out of me. I mean they <laughs> merciless on the Yankee, and uh, and I retreated to the golf course. Well, actually, the, the golf team was waiting in open arms. Said, you know, hey, we heard you could play a little golf. Why don't you join us on that side? So, uh, new club. Uh, that's where the whole inspiration for our golf society started. Um, but if I was good at hurling, who knows? Maybe I just would have gone that Stayed direction. There. Yeah, <laughs> picked up Gaelic football next. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they're they're good sports. They're cool to watch if anyone wants to to YouTube them. They're very fast, very fast moving field sports, especially hurling. Um, yeah, it's they're cool. Yeah, it really, it really is. They won the All-Ireland in 2005 when I was there too, the county, uh, Cork County did. And I'll never forget that. It was remarkable. And I thought they'd never be beat because they were so good. But I looked it up before you and I jumped on here. Uh, they haven't won since 2005. No, so maybe exactly, I, need to get, yeah. I need to get back. Yeah. Uh, on, on the golf front for Ireland, I mean, Ireland is such a sporting country. 
and, and, you know, you having this basis in um, sport and exercise science and, and just coming from Ireland. I mean, what, what do you think it is about the Irish people that, that sport is such a huge part of their lives? Like even more so, it just seems more ubiquitous than it is here. You know, people kind of find their avenues, but everyone in Ireland just seemed to, to, to gravitate to sport. Yeah, I, to be honest, I think the main thing is what you just touched on, like that those Gaelic sports are really the cornerstone of kind of every community. Like that's their real social clubs when you're, as soon as you're basically old enough to run around, uh, you're brought down there and it's, it's parents volunteering and stuff like that. And it's all really just local community, I suppose. So sport is what tends to bring people in the area together. Um, like that's, that's how I would know the vast majority of the people where I grew up would be playing sports with people around the same age as me. And then knowing their parents and siblings from, you know, watching older teams and younger teams play and their parents would be the ones volunteering and stuff like that. And, you know, after a few years, basically everybody gets to know each other through that really. Um, and then everybody would follow like the county teams, like you were talking about. So that's, that's really, I guess, the sporting ethos in Ireland. Um, and then on the golf side of things, I think we're just, you know, obviously blessed with having some of the best land for golf in the world. Um, obviously, Ireland is is very green also. So we have, you know, the best links courses, but then there's just golf courses everywhere as well. Like at one point, the like amount of golf golf courses, you know, say per capita in Ireland was one of the highest in the world. I think they were literally everywhere. You couldn't you couldn't get out of the way of one. Um, so a lot of people play. What's your favorite golf course in Ireland? Um, so I actually haven't played a lot of the really good ones in Ireland because I moved to the U S pretty soon after college, which is about the time when you get to play them. So I've played Ballybunion, which is extremely nice. Um, but I played on the Cashin course, which is the less popular one. Um, I've played in uh, Killeen's and Killarney down in a similar area, which is really nice. That's probably my favorite part of Ireland is the Southwest, like around the Kerry area. Um, and I'm hoping on my next trip back, I'll get in kind of some nicer golf courses. What was your, uh, uh, your local golf course or your favorite to play uh, growing up? And maybe as a addition to that question, tell us how you got into the game. Like when you started playing. Yeah. So my, uh, like childhood and and then adult golf club was a place called Mahan Golf Club um, in in Mahan slash Black Rock in Cork, quite close to Douglas. Um, I got into golf by playing pitch and putt first. Uh, there was a Douglas pitch and putt club was within walking distance of my house, so kind of once I was old enough um, to be able to walk there on my own and you know not need supervision to hang around there. Uh, when I was about 10 or so, I used to spend a lot of summertime there. And then a couple of my friends that were there, uh, their parents were, were golfers and they brought us along to golf a couple of times. And then when I was 12, I got my like first set of golf clubs and got a junior uh, membership to Matten Golf Club. And that was kind of how I got into it, really. And as a uh, an athlete, 
and then we'll get to kind of your expertise and being TPI certified and all the fitness instruction you do. How, how did, um, you know, you grew up playing sports, but when did you kind of make that decision to say, you know, I'm going to really study this and, and become an expert in the field of uh, fitness and sport science? When, when did that occur? Um, when I was coming towards the end of, we call it secondary school in Ireland, it's called high school in the US. Uh, my older brother was four years ahead of me in school and he had like really similar interests in sport and he did the same degree in the University of Limerick sports and exercise science that I ended up doing. So as he was doing that, I was kind of talking to him about the stuff they were studying and found it really interesting. Um, and then I kind of knew that when I was coming towards the end of high school, I'd like to do something similar, basically. And it, and it took you to California. Yeah, exactly. So when I finished, um, when I finished my degree, I was working full time in a, in a gym called fitness works in just outside Cork city. I had been working there, um, part-time while I was in college, I'd come so Limerick is about 90 minutes from Cork and I'd travel back every weekend and I was working as a trainer there on the weekends. And then when I finished uh, the degree, I just basically went full time as a sole trader, personal trainer slash strength and conditioning coach there. And I was there for about, I think just over a year, maybe a year and a half after I'd finished school. So about five years in total. And I saw a job listing for a place called Hanson Fitness for Golf in Orange County, California. They were looking for a strength and conditioning coach or a trainer that was TPI certified and was interested in training golfers. And I'd been kind of working with golfers under the banner Fit for Golf before that. Uh, so just applied for the job and was able to come over. That was five years ago. Um, so I worked with Mike Hansen in Hansen Fitness for Golf starting in 2016. And at the same time, I um, set up the Fit for Golf app in an online capacity because I, I wasn't able to train people in person. And eventually that kind of uh, took off pretty nicely. So I went full-time with that and uh, left my role in Hansen's. And been doing that ever since. Yeah, exactly. That was uh, just over a year ago now when I went full-time kind of in the online market, I guess, and stopped working uh, for Hanson Fitness for Golf and and stopped working in a in a gym in-person sessions. Well, what was it about the golf-specific route? It sounded like it was a part, part of your clientele, but what made you as a trainer say, you know, I want to make that my niche? I always found it really easy to, to get into golf, like to get really interested in the golf swing, kind of how the body moves, how it works. It's obviously a very complex and complicated and pretty difficult movement. Um, so I, I loved learning more about it. And there was also just a huge niche in the market. Like there was not really many uh, like high quality resources for golfers who were interested in physical training at all, even at like the highest levels, um, which I found out, but definitely from a recreational standpoint, there was so many people in Ireland who were playing golf, struggling with their kind of physical capabilities in some way or another, either performance or injury wise, and just didn't really have anybody who was helping them. Um, so that's, that's kind of how I started it really. That's great. Well, as, as, uh, 
someone who just turned 37, had a 37th birthday and uh, started feeling different body parts I haven't in a while. I'm starting to, um, fitness has always been a part of my life, but now I'm starting to really say like, I think it needs to be a priority uh, if I'm going to continue playing the game at a high level and, and where I want, where we all want to be. Cause I think we all want to, that's the beauty of golf, right? It's endless in the improvement and pursuit of it. So I, I would love to talk to you just about your approach to um, how you work with folks to, to improve their fitness for golf. Um, what, what are some of like the pillars that you, you focus on with the, when, when you get a new client, what are the, the, the first elements that you say, okay, here's what, um, our structure is yeah to be honest like the main thing is just what their basic habits and lifestyle are like there's there's no real benefit or no real need to go into like uh, training that's overly specific for any type of sport unless someone has like decent habits in terms of they actually are exercising they are looking after their nutrition because if they're not doing that, like you're, you're basically trying to put out a big fire with a small bucket of water. If you jump into trying to do, you know, fancy like hip mobility drills or power stuff or whatever. But, um, like in terms of the physical demands for golf, there's kind of like three basic things that I would say people should be looking at. Like number one is range of motion or mobility. So that's going to be very important for the swing. If your joints don't have, the available range of motion that we desire to make the golf swing that we'd like to, you're going to run into some issues. Physical strength is very important. It's hugely undervalued in the golf world. Um, very few people actually train for strength, especially once they get out of high school or college sports. Super important. Once we get over about the age of 30, we gradually start to lose muscle mass and strength. Um, and if we're, if we're not training it, there's just, there's no way of keeping it. But the good news is that it's really, really easy to keep our gain with some basic training. Um, and then the, the third one, I guess, is, is speed or explosiveness, which is going to be involving moving light things really, really fast. So if we can have people working on their mobility, working on their strength, working on their speed, they're going to be in a pretty good spot from like a golf performance standpoint. And then from just like an overall supporting standpoint you want people to be in reasonably good condition so you don't want them to have a very high body fat which is really common nowadays unfortunately uh you want people to be in reasonably good cardiovascular shape so doing some sort of like walking or biking or jogging or something like that but even the the strength training and speed training stuff will give you a little bit of that cardio stuff anyway so they're the two the two sides of it really is it in that order most of the time that you, you need to have the mobility before you build the strength and you need to have the strength before you, you build the speed? Um, no, I wouldn't say so because like once people start training with a pretty decent strength plan, their mobility improves anyway. Like a lot of people think that strength training is negative for mobility, but it's actually positive if it's done well. So if I, if people could only choose one, it would definitely 1000% be strength training. Um, if they could sprinkle in some mobility and speed stuff on the side, that would be great. But if you can have somebody who has a reasonably, you know, decent swing and you have somebody who is pretty strong, they're going to be in, in quite a good place. Um, loads of people that I've bumped into in my years of a trainer have kept up with like stretching and mobility work as they've gotten older. 
but not done strength work and they end up getting basically really weak, losing loads of muscle mass, um, which is a big problem. People who tend to keep up with strength training, they hold on to mobility and strength much better. And then like we all need to be as active as we can in terms of just like getting more steps in, finding ways to move more and kind of be sedentary less. Because like from from a golf standpoint, if you think of what happens in a in a round of golf or a golf tournament, we're either hitting a golf shot, standing or walking. The physical demands to match the standing and walking shouldn't be difficult. If you're having issues in a round of golf with like basically fatigue or energy to last the four hours and walk around, you know, you're, you've got a health problem. Then I would say not a fitness problem. But then if you're looking to improve your golf performance, well, then the more intricate things like mobility, strength, power, there's much more basically room to expand and dig into those to help your golf performance. You can only get so good at golf from, you know, getting in better general condition and having more energy to walk around. You know, that's, that's not based, that's not really increasing your ability to hit better golf shots. That's so interesting. Cause I, I speed is all the rage, right. Of, um, it does feel like even talking to our members that a lot of people go with the speed sticks you know, right away, or, or that's what, that's like their, uh, prep for their game this year is, is going speed, but maybe there's those underlying either health issues or mobility issues or strength that's not being, being addressed. I mean, what, what's your general opinion of, uh, chasing speed, which is all the rage. Well, like the reason why chasing speed has become so important is because of Mark Brody's work with strokes gained we were able to quantify what added distance actually does potentially for scores. We were able to look at the correlations between club head speed, driving distance, money earned, or, you know, ranking in professional golf. And then we were able to bring it back down to basically the correlations between average driving distance and handicap, which are extremely, extremely high. Um, so like there, there is very good reason for people to be gaining speed. The way that I look at speed is that it puts, it definitely puts a ceiling on your potential as a golfer, like depending on the level of golf that you'd like to play, there's definitely a minimum speed that you'd like that you would really need to be at before you have a decent chance. For example, if someone says, I want to be a scratch golfer, but they swing their driver 85 miles an hour that's given themselves a really, really, really low likelihood of achieving that. They literally have to be probably like the best in the world for like amateurs at, at the other parts of the game. Or if someone says, I want to play D1 college golf, but their driver speed is 103 miles an hour. Well, then like you're really behind the eight ball there and it's going to be so hard to make up. And if someone says, I want to play on the PGA Tour and their driver club head speed is 108 miles an hour. Well, there's just nobody keeping a tour card at that speed anymore. Like they're all falling off. Basically any of the guys that are playing at that speed are guys who have exemptions from doing really well, like 15, 20 years ago. But the other side of that equation too, is that speed doesn't guarantee anything. You can have a high club head speed, but have really, really low skill. And then you're going to run into big problems. Like we'd see that if we got people out of, you know, like explosive rotational sports that have unbelievably good physical capabilities, but they don't have a high level of golf skill, they're going to be able to swing the club really fast, but their control over it is going to be really bad. 
But I bet if you gave those guys like a few months or definitely a year or two of practicing golf, they're going to be shooting much better scores than the guy who's been playing golf for 20 years, but is swinging it really slow. That's why we see good athletes from baseball and tennis and like uh, hockey and even track and field throwing come to golf. They play golf for a summer and they're shooting like 78 to 82 or something, you know? Um, whereas that's going to be very difficult if you're not long enough to give yourself a good chance of reaching greens and regulation. And then kind of the last point on that is on for a lot of, I would say, the kind of, let's say, average amateur, let's say who's shooting, I don't know, let's say 80 to 100 or whatever, increasing speed is probably not the first place where they should go to increase their distance. Because we know from how good launch monitors are now, and even just like the basic eye test, lots of people leave so much distance on the table, even relative to their current swing speed, because they're not striking the ball in the middle of the club face. They're delivering way too much dynamic loft or too little dynamic loft, and their angle of attack is all over the place. And that's a conversation that you have with a golf instructor, but like people can, like, it's, it's not uncommon for, you know, someone who's hitting the ball, let's say like 220 yards, which is probably about average for a male club golfer to go to a lesson. And 10 minutes later, they're hitting at 240 because the pro changed their setup and brought their spin rate down, you know, by 1500 RPM or something like that. Like, so milk, milk those types of improvements for all you can, because, there's no real work goes into that. It's just better concepts. But then when you start, it's the same as improving at anything as you start kind of narrowing down the funnel and coming towards where it gets really hard to improve. Well, that's where things like speed are going to make a big difference because it is the limiting factor eventually. You may have just answered my next question because I was going to ask between the differences in, in age and how you approach um, someone who wants to increase their, their speed or, or increase their fitness. Um, to eventually get there. I mean, is there, uh, do you, do you, do you approach a 50 year old very differently than you do a 20 year old? No, not at all. Um, the principles are exactly the same. Like the person is likely going to need to work on the exact same things, but the level that they start at might be very different. Um, like for example, I'm still going to, whether it's a, a 20 year old college player or a 50 year old 16 handicapper, they're all still going to have mobility, strength and speed training in their programs. But the 20 year old college player that, you know, wants to be as good a golfer as possible, he's likely to be in better shape than if we just, let's just say the 50 year old is a desk worker who hasn't been working out. What they're doing for their strength training is going to be at a very different intensity to what the 50 year old who hasn't been working out just getting started is doing for their strength training. And a practical, a practical example of that is I know for certain I'm going to have both of those people working on their leg strength. I might use a squat to help them work on their leg strength. That 50 year old who hasn't been working out, they might be squatting their butt down to a chair with no additional weight eight or 10 times for two or three sets to ease into it. The 20 year old college player might have three years of college weight room experience under his belt. And he might be squatting, you know, 300 pounds for three or four reps, but they're both still working on their leg strength. Right. 
Interesting. The, the, um, you mentioned a couple of times that those of us that sit at a desk and I'm definitely, you know, in that world, I, I, I run a business and sit here behind this screen that we're both chatting on. And, um, uh, I, 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 what, what are the main things? Because I feel, I feel like I'll make the comparison to the golf game. Cause I know the answer, uh, to improving your golf game is putting in time. You know, most of the time there, there's no, we're all looking for the secret. There's plenty of stuff that has been marketed as the secret to your golf game. And we're all looking for shortcuts, but there really isn't. You just have to, uh, spend time getting better. And yeah, I feel you, like you need to have the right concepts. You need to have understanding of, of what reality of like making a golf ball fly in a desirable fashion is. And then it's skill acquisition, which is slow and hard and, and frustrating basically. Yeah. <laughs> so what, what's your, and maybe, so I, instead of asking the question of like, well, what's the secret, Mike, like what, you know, how do we get more fit for, for playing the game of golf? Um, instead it's like, I think a lot of us, it's particularly up North where I am and we have playing members down South too, that are listening. So maybe they've been swinging more often than us, but we go through these long winters where maybe we're not, especially with the pandemic and everything we've gone through there, that people are, their home routines probably aren't what they used to be. And there's mm -hmm. more time behind the screens and there's more time sitting. So instead of saying like, what's the, the secret with our, you know, what, what's the first step? Like what, what do you think is, is to get back into um, the right mode for the golf season? What, what are the first things that you recommend doing? The most important thing for everybody to realize with physical training or fitness and health is that doing even very, very small amounts is way better than doing nothing. So a common kind of excuse or complaint from people is, oh, like, I just, I just don't have time to do that. You know, I'd love to get in better shape, but like, honestly, if someone could put away five or 10 minutes a day that's going to make an enormous difference compared to saying, no, I don't have time to do that. And they don't do anything for weeks on end, you know? Um, like if somebody knows that they're going to be because of their, you know, family schedule or work schedule or whatever reason, if they know like they're not getting out to the gym three days a week for an hour, if, if it's like, no, I might've like 10, 15 minutes at home, like when the kid goes to sleep or, or whatever, like there's definitely things that can be put in place where somebody can make good progress with their fitness with something as simple like that. Just, just deciding when I get up in the morning, I have 10 minutes before, you know, if the kids get up, this is what I'm going to do each morning. That is infinitely better than basically throwing in the towel and, and not doing it. You could simply do like mobility one day, strength the next day, speed the next day go on a, on a three day cycle like that and just repeat it basically. And you could try and get out, you know, for like a walk or do a tiny little bit of cardio at home. Um, for people who are in cold climates and they know that they can't get outside in the winter. Like if we go back to what actually happens on a golf course, there's two main things that we need to be able to do. We need to be able to swing a golf club and we need to be able to walk for four or five hours. Um, if people can get out and walk, I know it's probably hard in certain, you know, climates or areas at certain times of year, but definitely try and keep walking. If you can't walk outside, 
I don't know how much like secondhand treadmills or something like that are, but get on a treadmill or use the stairs in your house, do some repeats on the stairs for walk up and down the stairs for 10 minutes. Your legs will know all about it, you know? Um, and then definitely what a lot of people just stop doing and it makes no sense at all is they stop swinging a golf club. So even if you need to swing a golf club indoors and not hit a golf ball or hit a foam golf ball, like it makes no sense whatsoever to allow all your muscles and tendons and all the other uh, connective tissue. That's really, really important for one, being able to swing a golf club well, but two, be able to go back into swinging a golf club frequently and not have some sort of overuse injury flare up that you allow that go stagnant for six months or five months or whatever. So they're, they're like two simple ones. Stay on your feet walking. If you have, if you can get a treadmill, I know not everyone can afford or a space for a treadmill, walk around your house, walk up and down the stairs for 10 minutes a day and keep swinging a golf club for definite. Like you can make really good progress, you know, doing some mirror work without hitting a golf ball and even just doing air swings or hitting a foam ball for, you know, like three or four minutes a day. Basically like a real simple way of kind of summing up physical training for any sport or activity is that you need to be doing the things that are required of you in that activity regularly. Otherwise our body's conditioning for that activity declines. Like, so if you want to be able to play golf in the spring after a long winter, stay on your feet, keep walking and also keep, keep swinging. That's it's another one that in that season, when we get back out there, you see people grabbing at backs and, and hips and really pointing to these trouble areas or, or these, um, injuries, you know, that happen early in the season. And it probably has a lot to do with what you're saying is just, there wasn't a lot of movement before that. And then all of a sudden you're, you're swinging the club, just like you were in the mid season, the year prior. A hundred percent. Like if, if, if we sat down for, I'm not saying people just sit down, but if we stopped, like if, if you went out and played a pickup basketball game tomorrow after not doing any type of like running, jumping, bounding type activity for four or five months, how do you think your calves and Achilles would feel like the next day? I, if they, I can tell you, I did this recently. They didn't feel great. Yeah. And that's, <laughs> and that's, and that's if they don't snap. So <laughs> yeah. if you consider what most of us do day in, day out is we, a lot of us were either like driving or we're at a computer or we're sitting on phone calls. So we tend to be sitting, not really moving around a whole lot. And even if we have a slightly more active job, we might be walking. But then if after five months of not doing it, we go to the range, we hit a bucket of 30 balls, and then we take like, let's say, I don't know, 50 full swings on the golf course. Like, of course, things like our, our hip, our back, our elbow, our neck might be flared up because our body's like, what the hell's going on? It's like if you go out and do, you know, a five mile run after not running in six months, it's like, yeah, that's probably going to be a problem. But if you'd ran for a minute a day for the last six months and you went out and ran five miles, your body would be like, oh, this isn't too bad, you know? Yeah. Are there specific muscles that need to be strong for golf or is that a misconception? Um, there, there definitely is, but the reality is that there's a lot of them because it's a full body movement. Like, you know, we've all heard kind of the, 
the description that the golf swing starts from the ground up. So like if you think of, let's say, uh, like a boxer throwing, you know, like a right cross as hard as they can, or a javelin thrower throwing a javelin or a baseball player, you know, swinging the bat or anything like that. Like we start to wind up and create power through the ground. We use our feet. Then that, then we move up into our legs, then our trunk or our torso, and then into our upper limbs. So like we, because it's a full body movement, the way the swing is, we're utilizing essentially like a whole chain of muscles and like that's that's why it's different it's very different to say like if you're training someone for say like a vertical jump well yeah like it's it's going to be like quads glutes calves hamstrings you're going to be the the big players there it's it's like a one plane pretty simple movement relative to there's so much going on in the golf swing but like the big muscles that are going to be really important I would say the quads and glutes in the lower body are going to be super important. The obliques around our midsection. So they're going to be muscles in our abdomen. So they're on the sides of our, of our basically below our rib cage where people would say they have love handles and they wrap around the front. So they're important for rotating both our pelvis and our rib cage or our torso. And then in the upper body, your lats are going to be super important for swinging your arms. Now there's more there. You could argue like there's tons of more important ones, but like quads, glutes, obliques, lats, if you can be really strong in those, uh, that's, that's going to be beneficial for sure. There, um, some common mistakes you see amongst amateurs when they're, uh, training for their golf game. Um, like, I, I don't like to say people make mistakes as such because definitely anything that people are doing is way, way better than not training. Like you hear sometimes people saying, oh, if you're not doing it properly, you might as well not be doing it at all. That's just not true. Like that's, they're, they're definitely better off doing it slightly worse than optimal than, than sitting on the couch, you know, going through another three episodes of Netflix or whatever. Um, but in terms of golf performance, like people forget that golf is a, the golf swing is a power activity. Like if, if you're trying to improve the quality of your golf swing, there's really two things that I would look at. There's the range of motion at the main joints. So essentially you can make the type of golf swing you're looking for. Um, and then there's also the explosive power element. So if we can work on range of motion and we can work on power, you're going to be in a pretty good spot there. But what a lot of people gravitate towards is a lot of cardio, which is obviously great for our health. It burns a lot of calories, but there's not really much potential for cardio to move the needle on our golf swing. And actually doing a lot of it can be detrimental to our speed and power. Hmm. Um, so if people can do some mobility stuff, try and get stronger and more explosive. So a typical gym session, like the programs that I put together for people now there's, there's different options depending on it. If it's someone who says like, yeah, I enjoy working out. I mean, you know, a good habit. I, I, I'll do three days a week for 45 minutes to an hour. If it's as someone who's willing to do a, a routine like that, all the, all the programs have the same basic template. So whether they walk into the gym or kind of like the workout room in their house, 
They're going to have about 10 minutes working on what I call dynamic mobility and warm up. So that's going to be stuff that obviously gets them warmed up and ready to train. And it's also going to be working on the range of motion at key joints. So things like ankles, knees, hips, thoracic spine, which is basically like the mid part of your spine. That's important for rotating your chest, neck and shoulders, because we, we need those joints to be able to go through a good range of motion to make a nice long golf swing and sequence effectively and things like that. Then they're going to work on what I would label as speed slash power. So that's going to be light or unweighted movements moving as fast as we possibly can. So lower body examples would be different types of jumping, like vertical jumping, standing long jumps, side to side jumping. If someone can't jump due to injury or they just haven't worked out in a long time, there's really easy modifications we can do there. Things like kettlebell swings or even just explosive squats where they're not getting airborne are a good idea because getting airborne and landing isn't the best idea if you're very deconditioned, but it's great if you gradually build up to it. And then um, trunk and upper body uh, examples of that uh, low weight and very high speed movements would be things like medicine ball throws and slams. And or else if somebody can't do those in their house or in the gym, there's lots of um, like rapid band rotations and pull down type exercises we can do. So we want to get some stuff for the lower body, the trunk and the upper body. And then, so that'd be the first two sections done. Dynamic warm-up, our uh, dynamic mobility slash warm-up, about 10 minutes. Then about 10, 10 minutes roughly, uh, on our 15 minutes maybe, on this power slash speed element. And then the third element would be a general strength element. And that would be things like squatting, hinging, pushing, pulling, usually in about a five to 10 rep range in each set for about three sets on each exercise. And it'd be typical to maybe have like five strength exercises in the session. I like people to do a squat, a hinge, a rotary exercise, an upper body push and an upper body pull. Um, and that, that would be done three days a week, like every other day, usually. Um, and depending on the time that people have, like some people, they might split those workouts in half and do them daily because they might have 20 minutes a day rather than, you know, 45 minutes, three times a week. And some people might only have like 10 minutes. So they'll just take a section each day and dig into it that way. Um, but that's basically it from like, I would say like gym or, you know, like workout area standpoint. And then some people, they might just do a little bit of extra mobility while they're watching TV or something like that. Or if they're going to hit golf balls, they might spend five minutes doing some of the warm up exercises from their gym routine. And then if people are interested, particularly increasing their swing speed, they'll have some like speed training protocols to either with their own driver or some of the popular speed training tools like speed sticks or the stack or something like that. How much does the uh, the motor movements of of an individual's golf swing, so mechanics or the way we swing it, how much do you care about that as their fitness coach? Do you want to see video of of how they're moving, or is that is no. that only a is that almost a, none, none, almost none, no? Because a big problem that people make, and this is something that I see as a massive, like I would say. Um, I don't want to say issue, but like where I would say like physical training for golf or what a lot of people call it golf fitness makes an error 
like as a generalization is they end up doing gym exercises that are too focused on trying to resemble a particular element of the swing. And they run into a problem that because they're using an implement, that's a completely different weight and they have like a very different coordination pattern to what happens in a golf swing, trying to hit a golf ball. They're not doing anything that's specific enough to actually show up as a swing change, but it's also nowhere near stressful enough in terms of exercise to improve any physical capacity, be it strength, power, or mobility. And they basically get stuck in like this gray area where they're kind of doing something that looks like a golf swing with a weighted implement. And they're kind of doing some sort of strengthening exercise, but it's really neither. So I'd much prefer people to almost look at it from two sides of the equation. So you have your golf swing in the middle, which is what we're trying to improve. And then we have golf practice where you're doing your swing drills, your whatever you're working on with your coach and things like that. You can do homework in the mirror with the you know, club or if you want to use like a med ball or a kettlebell or something like this for your swing drills, that's absolutely fine. But don't label those as your power or strength exercises because there's no high output there. There's no stress there. So if we're trying to increase like strength or power or speed, the exercises don't need to be resembling the golf swing. Some of them can for sure, but they don't count as a strength or power exercise unless there's actually a requirement for maximal force there. Um, and then with the practice stuff, I would say that you're better off doing that in a way that's much more similar to hitting a golf ball. So basically do your golf practice, work on your physical capabilities allow them come together for improving your golf swing. If you just go to the gym and you're trying to combine your golf swing practice and your physical capabilities, there's no doubt that you can make progress, especially if you haven't been doing anything before, but you'll hit a roadblock really quickly in that you're not getting stronger and more explosive. And I think you're probably going to end up doing, you're probably going to find that those types of drink swing drills might like, uh, create some nice feels and stuff like that. But like you have to be hitting golf balls regularly, like the specific micro coordination of getting club face on golf ball, making solid contact, seeing a ball flight, really, really important. Like it's all well and good to kind of like swish a kettlebell or med ball around in the mirror and be like, man, that feels like a great turn or I'm nice and balanced or that's a nice pivot. That can be nice if you're making swing changes but like oftentimes what you find is then you go to actually hit a golf ball and you're like, yeah, this is different to what I was doing with that kettlebell or band in my hand. You know, like I do some of those things for sure. I do exaggerated fields with weights and stuff like that, but that's not really my swing practice. And it's definitely not my physical training. That's, that's another one where I think just getting caught in the middle, as you put it, is an interesting place for, but it does sell. That's the thing. If, yeah. if, if you want people to buy your program, then make up stuff like that because it takes out the needing to work hard in the gym and it takes away the needing to hit balls. You have it all just in some gym exercises. That, that's uh, where I was kind of going with that. A little bit of um, 
it makes me think I'm speaking of Netflix. I Cobra Kai, I, I got into and Mr. Miyagi's lessons of all these things he had him doing. He's like, what is this? This isn't teaching me how to fight. And then yeah, sure yeah. enough, he gets into a fight and he uses all the wax on wax off stuff that that's like, just, you know, focus on things that will show the results later. Don't get yeah. wishy-washy. So probably like I went maybe a little bit roundabout way there, but a way of uh, thinking about it that might be easy is especially if you're looking for like long-term progression, your physical training, you're trying to enhance your physiology. You're trying to change your physical capabilities. That requires stress. There's, there's no way around that. Like we need a stressor that we're forced to respond to. With your improving your ball striking, think about skill. Yeah. And we know that there's like real intricate elements go into the skill of hitting a golf ball purely. We can't enhance both of those optimally without doing them. So like we need to be practicing our golf skill, like hitting, hitting golf balls. Now you may need to have some special drills that are working on what you're trying to change in your swing, but that is the way that I would sum it up. Physical training for physiology, golf practice for skill, watch out for the stuff that tries to combine them, but then actually just negates the stimulus for either. I wanted to ask you about uh, some of the professional golfers you've worked with. I saw that Seamus Power, uh, your countryman, you spent some time with. He had one heck of a summer last year when he got really hot. Um, what's, I, what's impressed you about him and his golf game and his fitness? Um, first of all, just like it, it's actually funny. So I was recently in a photograph with him. And I sent it like, so it was at the masters, which is pretty cool. We were on, on the range at the masters together. And like, I always like, you know, from looking at Seamus that like, he's a, he's a big, strong looking guy, you know? So he's, he's six, three and about two fifteen, two twenty, like depending on the week, but like, he's solid, like well put together. I'm five ten and one seventy, and we're standing next to each other on the range and like, he is just dwarfing. <laughs> so like, that's definitely, you know, a genetic uh, benefit to being able to smash a golf ball really far without trying particularly hard. Um, but in terms of like his, his fitness or athleticism, uh, like Seamus obviously grew up in Ireland. So he was like an elite racquetball player as a child. So he was like hitting balls that were traveling at really high speed, you know, like right-sided, left-sided, just probably tens of thousands of reps as a child. So obviously there's a hand-eye coordination element there that probably, you know, is beneficial, I would say, and probably a speed um, element to it as well. He was also reasonably good at hurling, the Irish sport, which again is hitting balls like in a racket or bat and ball sport as hard as you can, both sides out of your hand, like throwing it up and hitting it kind of like a baseball ground strikes, kind of like you would have an ice hockey. Um, but then in terms of his game, like he's, if you talk to anybody who, who knows him, like a lot of them, one of the things that they say, like, is he's very intelligent. Uh, so like he was really good in school and stuff like that. Not that that guarantees intelligence, but if you talk to him about his game, like, especially now, He's just has a very impressive assuredness about what he's working on and what he needs to do to get better. And like, it's not arrogance at all, but like, you can just tell from talking to him or being around him. He's like, no, like 
these are like my fundamentals. These are what I need to focus on. And if I can keep going with those, I'm pretty confident that I'll get better. And then as a result of that, like I, I don't think like he, he tends to, you know, freak out at all. If, you know, he has a bad week or has a bad day, he seems to be reasonably quickly be able to say like, no, I think just, you know, I fell into like this tendency that I've had for a long time today. I need to do X on the range for an hour or two. That will help me get back on top of it. And then we'll go again tomorrow. So yeah, like it's just been very, very nice to watch uh, his progression. What's cool about that is um, like his caddy is from Cork as well. And I was actually really good friends with his caddy long before I ever got to know or got working with Seamus. They played junior golf together. Simon Keelan's his name. They're both really good junior golfers in Ireland. A few years ahead of me, um, and I got to know Simon uh, just from like golf in the area, basically. And he was caddying on the LPGA tour for a while. We stayed really good friends after I moved to the US. And then eventually Seamus asked him if he wanted to caddy for him. And then I started working with Seamus. So it's cool. I'm really good friends with his caddy. So anytime we're out at a tournament or just chatting or anything like that, it's it's a nice, pretty close-knit uh, crew. That's great. Is there... Um, are there others it, you, you admire in the game of golf for their fitness or maybe you've, you've looked up to in the past or anyone that comes to mind? Well, like I just, I love watching Rory swing. Rory's driver swing is like one of my favorite sporting actions of all time. It's just a picture of efficiency. Like I don't think you could come up with a robot that would do a better job of making a golf swing than what Rory does with his physical capabilities. You know, he's like five, eight, I would say probably like 165 or so, maybe 170. And he's just looks like he's effortlessly swinging his driver 120 plus like with unbelievable contacts. Like it's just, it's so hard to do that. Um, which is really impressive. I love, um, I love watching camp champs swing. So obviously like I'm interested in speed. So it's, it's, I, I really like, what I really like looking at is players who are exceptionally long, but probably don't have the physical stature that you would associate with being exceptionally long. Like if you had a player who was six, six two fifty, and, you know, was like ice hockey and baseball background, and then switch to golf and he was swinging at like 125. I'd be like, well, yeah, that makes sense. You know what I mean? Like he, yeah. he should, he should be like, if he's that big and that strong and he's, you know, a professional guy, he should be swinging it that fast. But when you look at guys like champ, Rory, um, like Xander, Shoffley, Joaquin Neiman, like these guys are all absolute bombers, like 118 plus, like 178 plus in terms of clubhead speed and ball speed average while they're playing in a PGA Tour event. Like, I don't know how many of your listeners have been on a launch monitor and tried to smash driver as hard as they could. Like, it's not easy to make the monitor go up that high, even if you're just trying to blast it into a net. Um, and these guys are doing it on like a standard par four on the PGA Tour, hitting the ball, you know, in play, which is really impressive because they don't strike me as people who have, you know, like I would say like genetic, um, you know, lottery tickets, like you might see in some players who play like baseball or hockey or basketball. Um, 
but they're still doing something that to me is exceptionally impressive. And that's why I love studying it. Like there's definitely a blend of physical capabilities and then the intricacies in like swing mechanics is what I'm trying to get a little bit better at now for definite. Yeah. Um, Tiger at the, the masters, any thoughts on, on his physicality coming back from the injuries that he did? Um, like he obviously unbelievably like impressive and, and good to see that he was able to play a golf tournament again. His swing looks nice. And like, like as long as Tiger's able to swing, I think he's always going to be a pretty good ball striker, especially with like irons and wedges and stuff like that. Obviously he's going to be losing driver speed, which, you know, will make it tough depending on the golf course that he's playing on. But the thing that was a bit concerning, like, is he was really, really walking poorly. Like he, his, his walk was a limp basically, you know? So like, that's going to take a toll if you're playing professional golf. Um, I think we'd all, you know, like to see him kind of healthy and pain-free and stuff like that. I like Tiger lives such a private life. I've no idea, you know, what is going on in his rehab or kind of what, you know, the prognosis for future is what you'd be hoping is that he can walk around and play recreational golf reasonably happy, you know. Um, I wouldn't be overly surprised if he won another event just because he's so good if he shows up to a, you know, I think nowadays it's going to be like a British Open style course or like a course, you know, like the Heritage or something where it's like short and tight and kind of, uh, that sort of strategy where he might win. Like he's, he's not going to win, you know, like on a regular PGA tour course, like quail hollow or something where guys are, you know, launch and driver 40 past them, uh, on every single hole. But, um, I just like, I, he's definitely, I don't see him having, you know, like another stint on the PGA tour at all where he plays, you know, like 12 or 15 tournaments a year. I think he'll play like three or four tournaments a year. Maybe you just pick his courses, but, like you'd like to see him just get back to decent, you know, I guess health really like, you know, I, that would be my main concern for Tiger to be honest, would be his, his general physical and, and mental well-being as opposed to his golf performance is where I'd be hoping he's, he's solid, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I can't imagine it. You probably worked with athletes who are coming back from injury. I mean, when, when you have, an isolated injury like that to, to um, your legs. How do you go about working out those legs? Cause to, and I asked this just because my untrained eye just, he looked very uh, fit in his torso and his shoulders and his arms. He looked big compared to, you know, to tiger last couple of years, but obviously his leg strength wasn't there. I mean, his gait walking wasn't there. It's like, is it just, you got to do, you're not going to be able to focus much on those legs or is he going through, a, a, an incredible like effort on those legs. It's just not showing in terms of muscle. Well, again, like I, I honestly have no idea yeah. what he's been doing in his rehab. I, like it's so hard to find out anything about what Tiger does behind the scenes. My, my assumption would be that uh, obviously he loves working out, like maybe even to a fault. Um, so I imagine that for like mental purposes and blown off steam and, and not losing his mind, I imagine he trained his upper body very hard in the gym because he was able to, and he trained his legs to whatever extent he was comfortable with, which up until now, 
I'm going to guess is, is not very, you know, high or strenuous loading. I'd even, you know, wonder how much he's done of that since all the knee surgeries and things like that. Like, I don't know what type of advice he's getting and stuff like that. Um, like definitely he, it would be beneficial for him to strengthen his legs, but you just need to, you know, respect the process of how badly those legs were damaged. And then, you know, in like a step-by-step progression, try and build them back up so that they meet the demands of your everyday life. I think Tiger's everyday life now is, you know, different to if this injury had happened 15 years ago, where he'd be hoping to eventually get them to, you know, but like in injury, like, so this is obviously a complicated injury because it was lots of trauma to bones and stuff like, you know, but in, in like, in for most injuries that people pick up, like kind of like soft tissue injuries, be it like muscle or tendon kind of aches and pains, really like what you do is you modify your activity so that you're not constantly aggravating the area. You gradually improve the condition of it. Generally with strength training, find an exercise that you can load the area through a full range of motion at a level that you can currently tolerate, gradually build that up. And then depending, like there has to be a bit of trial and error and give and take, you must see how you're responding to the training you're doing and to the level of, let's say, swinging you're doing, if it's a golf swing that's aggravating it, and then just gradually building it up in a stepwise progression. Where most people go wrong is they have like a sore shoulder or something playing golf. They get advised to rest for like three weeks. So they rest for three weeks. Then they go back to the exact same level of activity where they had the discomfort. So all that's happened in the three weeks is they've lost a bit of strength. They've lost a bit of condition. The pain might go down because they're not using it, but they haven't improved their tolerance to the activity that caused the issue. So they jump back into the issue. The pain flares back up. Then they probably bump up the painkillers. So the pain goes back down a little bit, but then the painkillers stop working. The area feels worse. And there's a cycle like that. There's never comprehensive rehab, basically. That's why, like, if people can do some strength and mobility work, it generally tends to help them with the common aches and pains that golfers have, like hips, backs, knees, shoulders, elbows, kind of thing. Well, uh, Mike, this has been fascinating. I appreciate you coming on. I got one last section for you here uh, that we call the 19th soul. If you're not a listener of the pod, let me tell you about it. It's uh, We adapted 35 questions of Marcel Proust, who was a French novelist, one of the most influential authors of the 20th century. His questions attempted to reveal the truest nature of an individual. Our questions attempt to reveal the soul of the golfer. So, okay. Mike, Carol, are you ready for the 19th soul? Uh, probably not, but we're going to do it anyway. They're, they're intended to be quick uh kind of rapid fire answers, but some of them will get pretty deep and we'll let you go into the ethos if you you okay. choose. But uh, hole number one, when and where were you the happiest as a golfer? Um, last year, I got to scratch handicap for the first time. Uh, that was pretty sweet. Like something I'd worked hard for. Uh, yeah, I can remember like I whole, I had a good idea that if, I shot, I think I had a good idea that if I shot like one under or something like that, I'd probably get the scratch, uh, like to 0.0 for the first time. And I hold like, I hit like a crazy flop shot on 17. I missed the green way left, 
hit a flop shot to like 15 feet, hold the pot. And then the par, f- the 18th is a par five. And I hit a driver and a like two iron driving iron to like 20 feet and made birdie, um, which was pretty sweet. That was, that was nice. That <laughs> is a good feeling. Number two, what is the scariest golf shot? Um, scariest golf shot is a bunker shot from a downslope with water behind the flag. You know, our, our, we had uh, Jay Card, a uh, Corn Ferry Tour uh, player on the pod just recently. I've never had that answer before, but now I've had it twice in a row. And you're right. That is a really terrifying shot. Like the, what is it? The bear trap, that whole number 16. At, yeah. Like it, the problem with the bunker is you don't have an option really for the type of shot you're going to play. Like if it was on grass, you might be able to like put it or use like a right. hybrid and bump it. But if you're in a bunker, like you basically have to hit a lob shot and then there's speed involved when you're hitting a lob shot out of a bunker. And if you get that slightly wrong, you're in, you're in big trouble. So that's, that's what I think. I love scary golf shots. Number three, what is your go-to order at the halfway house? Um, I don't eat that much on the golf course. I bring like fruit and nuts with me, just eat them walking around pretty boring, but like I play at a Muni most of the time. So there's not really a big like break in the middle of the round. Yeah. Number four, what is the trait you most deplore in your own golf game? Um, I went through, I had a really long struggle with like chipping and pitching yips. Like it was horrendous. They're pretty good now though. What I hate most on the golf course is I can get into a spell where I'm hitting pull hooks. So balls that start left and curve left. And it's just so hard to play with. And what's really annoying as well is that those shots are usually flushed. They're really clean contact, but they go, if it's an iron shot, it goes way too far, long left. And like, it's just really hard to play with it. I've had that a couple of times on the golf course. It popped up in a competition last year and I hadn't been struggling with it. And I, I basically couldn't correct it during the round, which was extremely frustrating. So that's, I would say what I deplore most that when my, when I'm, if I go bad, it's a, it's a shot that starts left and curves left, which is really difficult to play with, but I'm hopefully getting better with it. I suffer from a very similar condition. Number five, what is the trait you most deplore in other golfers? Um, probably this will sound bad now, but probably just like loud and obnoxious playing partners. Like I, I enjoy like chatting on the golf course and stuff like that. But sometimes like there's people just never, ever shut up. I find that like a struggle on the golf course, like, because you just, you never get to enjoy like your surroundings. You never get to have like a moment's peace. They're talking like while everyone's playing that probably is the most I would say. Yeah. Number uh, six, what is the quality you most look for in a playing partner? Um, I would say somebody who's relaxed. Like I never mind. I don't mind playing with someone who's going to shoot five under or 
25 over. Um, it turns it into a bit of a longer day if they're, you know, living and dying on every shot. Like if it's someone who's, you know, playing their golf and then pretty easy to just talk to in between the shots, I think that's great. Like don't need somebody diagnosing what went wrong with all of their shots um, or, you know, snapping clubs if it's going wrong, just hit their golf shots and then talk about normal stuff in between their golf shots. Number seven, what words or phrases do you most overuse on the golf course? Um, get lucky. <laughs> get lucky. <laughs> um, That's a good one. Number yeah. eight, what golfing talent would you most want to have? Unbelievable iron player. Yeah. Hit more greens. Like greens and regulation is, is where it's at for AMS. Number nine, what is your most treasured golf possession? Um, I still have uh, the first, I still have the golf ball that I used the first time I broke 80, um, which was like probably about like 16 or 17 years ago. I was probably like 13 or something. And what was cool is like, I hadn't, come anywhere close to breaking 80 I don't think uh and then one day you know we kind of all have those days sometimes where you can't really explain it just played so so good and um yeah I shot 79 I remember it was a Nike golf ball I wrote 79 on it and kept it in my bedroom that's still in my bedroom at home I think that's cool number 10 what's the one thing in your golf bag you should throw out I don't think there's anything like I, I'm really lucky. Like I, yeah, I, I got a full bag fitting with ping. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm real happy with my bag. I have a slightly you're different in, bag set up. You're many stale nuts or fruit in there or anything. Oh, you mean, I thought you meant like, about <laughs> no, equipment. no, no, it could no, be anything. I don't, I don't think, I don't think so. No, like I keep my golf bag pretty tidy and I'm, I'm happy with my, uh, with my club selection. So I don't think there's anything I'd throw out. They're good. Number 12, have you ever asked another golfer for their autograph? No. Oh, uh, I got, I got Seamus Bauer to sign a couple of masters flags. Um, but they were for, yeah, actually I have, I asked Seamus to sign a flag, which I'm going to put up a master's flag, little he memento. Yeah, that, yeah. that counts. That, that counts. Yeah, I have. Number 13, what historical golf figure do you most relate to? Most relate to? Um, like I'm probably to a fault interested in swing mechanics. Like if my goal this golf season was to like play as good golf as possible, like this season, I'd probably focus less on mechanics and more on like playing golf and, you know, like scoring and stuff like that. I'm guessing that maybe Ben Hogan was a little bit like that. Like I'm obviously not comparing my swing or my ball striking to Ben Hogan, but I think he was very, very interested in like the mechanics of how everything worked. And his book would suggest that too. So I think I'm maybe similar in that regard. And Gar but Gary Player was really into his fitness. So maybe, uh, or Frank Stranahan, he was the first guy traveling around with weights. Yeah. Yeah. 
what did he had was his nickname mighty frank or uh, yeah or iron was it yeah i can't remember he's big but he's a big tough dude from the look yeah side. uh number 14 what is your greatest golf regret that's simple so i quit golf for about five or six years when i was 17 um i walked in uh like midway through a round because i knew that the score i was on was unlikely to lead to a handicap reduction and i was basically putting loads of pressure on myself to get better quickly so i could get into bigger tournaments and stuff like that and was just way too hard on myself so i walked in off that round and didn't play another round of golf for like five or six years uh, so that was like, so I didn't play golf at all from like 17 to 22 or 23 at all. Uh, that's when I started playing a lot. I picked back up playing more Gaelic football, but then, yeah, like tried to get back into golf after like five, six years off. I'd obviously lost a ton of good stuff. And that's when I ran into issues with the pitching and chipping yips and stuff. And I had a really good short game when I was a teenager. I think everyone who plays a lot of golf as a teenager is a really good short game. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so yeah, I was just like, that was it's relatable. Yeah. That's relatable. Yeah. I think a lot of folks listening can relate to that. Number 15, what is your favorite golf book or movie? My favorite golf book is The Practice Manual by Adam Young. I'm not familiar with that. I'll check that out. That's a big, like, big, it's a reasonably decent undertaking to read it. Like, you don't have to read it all at once, but it's, breaks down so many of the misconceptions and cliches that golfers think are true, but just aren't. Adam Young's an unbelievable resource, like for anyone looking to get better at golf. And then like from a less like instruction or golf improvement standpoint, Tom Coyne's books, Paper Tiger, A Course Called Scotland and A Course Called Ireland are exceptional. Yeah. Yeah. That's some of my favorites too. Uh, what, so this 16 is kind of a preference question. Uh, I don't know if you listen to music on the golf course or if you'd like to have music. Uh, I don't, I don't listen to music. I prefer not. I don't mind if it's there, but I, I don't, I like the birds. So this could be maybe uh, a question of your way to the golf course or maybe warming up on the golf course or on the golf course. If you had one song to listen to for the rest of your life, what would it be? Um, Queen, don't stop me now. Yeah, good answer. I love that song. That always gets me going. Uh, number seventeen. This is this is a, a more esoteric. If you were to die and come back as either a golfer or a golf thing, what or who do you think it would be? Um. I'd like to come back as Rory if that was a possibility. <laughs> um, I, li I like what I'm doing in the golf world now, though, like trying to help people play golf for longer, basically try and extend their, their life and health span and help them play better golf for longer, basically. Like I'm obviously like most people who coach in the golf world are failed golfers. So I'd like a crack of being a a tour player, obviously. Um, but other than that, like if, if I'm obviously at this point, I'm not going to be a tour player. Uh, 
And other than that, I think what I'm doing now, like is what I'd be happiest doing. That's great. And uh, our 18th and final question of the 19th soul, if you had a motto, maybe you do, what would it be? Uh, do it now. Like people procrastinate, wait on stuff. Like you have to start immediately. I got to say, after chatting with you, that has, even before you said it, it's what I felt is it's still a little chilly outside, but I'm ready to go. Like, yeah. Get some like, walks in and get my fitness because you it's definitely. A, it, it's a cliche, like, but like time, time is our, our most valuable asset, you know? So yep. like it, and it's, it's running out, like basically without, without getting too dark. So you just, you need to try and figure out how you can, especially if you want to get better at something, like you need to assign your time to it as best as possible because time that's gone, you know, you don't want to waste it on stuff. We don't get it back basically. So figure out like the truth about how, like what actually underpins what you're trying to improve at, and just start working on it. Like probably, I don't know if you've read it, but some of your listeners probably have atomic habits by James clear. He digs into some of that stuff. It's really good. And like, it's not super complicated stuff, but it's big on, yeah, just, just basically getting started and then allowing momentum carry you really, um, you know, I think we all struggle with, I'll do it tomorrow or I'll start, I'll start working out after I come back from my vacation in two weeks, but that's four weeks away. You know what I mean? Like just start now, like do 10 minutes and then go and have a shower and watch TV, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, Mike, this has been awesome. Fit for golf app. How can our members and our listeners look, check you out and learn more about it? So, I do a lot on social media. The handle is at fit underscore four F O R underscore golf. That's the same on Twitter and Instagram. And then my website is fitforgolf.blog. So I write some like educational articles about physical training for golf, post some like quick video tips on social media. And then I have a podcast as well called the fit for golf podcast where I basically try and interview people that are experts either in helping us improve at golf or get fitter and healthier. That's awesome. That's awesome. I, I've in, we'll link to uh, all those in our show notes, but I've enjoyed following you on social and definitely um, it, it, this has been motivating to get into chat with you here, Mike, and get to know you a little bit and learn more about your process. Uh, and I hope it is for others too. I mean, life is short. That's all get out there and move. Hey, how do you feel about golf carts, by the way? Last question for you. Golf carts. I would, I, so I'm okay with golf carts when they're necessary. Like, obviously if someone needs a golf cart, they need a golf cart. It absolutely drives me insane watching like young or middle-aged healthy or what should be healthy people taking a golf cart around like the flattest, easiest to walk course you can imagine. Uh, it just makes no sense to me. It's also like, we, we don't have them in Ireland and the UK, like golf carts don't exist. There's no cart paths on golf courses. You walk. So if you're playing golf, you walk, unless you have a very special need for a cart, then it's cool. But like, I just don't understand why people don't walk the golf course more. I had to ask because I, I I kind of felt that would be your opinion. Yeah, and some... I I also just think golf is way more enjoyable walking because if you're in a four ball, you can walk down the fairway with the four in the group. 
you get to talk to one guy on one hole, another guy in another hole. The interaction in the group is way better. If you're in a cart with one other guy in a four ball, it's you and him for the whole round. You barely talk to the other guys. Yeah. Um, and I just think, like, I think you play better golf too. I think you've got some time to yourself, like walking up to your shot, weighing it up. There's nothing worse than like you having a golf shot you're not really sure of. And the guy who you're sharing the cart with is waiting for you to hit it so he can drive over to his own ball. You know, like... Well, I, of course, I, uh, I'm reading a, a season in Dornick, which we're headed to Scotland for our international fixture this year. So that's coming up and here shortly, but, uh, in there, he talks to the protagonist of the story. He talks to, I think it was the captain of Dornick or one of the influential members. And he was explaining his home club and he said, you know, laddie, that's, that's not golf that's cart ball and i've seen cart ball and you you can have your cart yeah. ball but here we play golf and you know you either carry yeah, a bag yeah. or you take a case if, if people like obviously golf what's cool about golf like you can use it for whatever you want so if people sure. like going to the golf course have a few beers ride the car listen to music play with their buddies like i'm absolutely 100 fine with them doing that is their way of enjoying golf. That's, that's not my issue at all. I just really don't enjoy it. And I think that because so many people have such a big problem with being active enough, why would you give up a chance to have a nice walk for four hours, you know, unless you can't do that, you know, based on a health issue or whatever. Yeah, no, I, I, I couldn't be more aligned on this issue. Unlike, I mean, on, and, unlike and bachelor parties and stuff, we do that. You know what yeah, I mean? Like I'll go, sure. I'll go, drink beers in a carrot and listen to music on like a party weekend or something like that. But yeah. that's not really golf to me. You know what I mean? That's just like a day out basically. Yeah. It's a better, better existence for your health and, and exercise and everything. But um, yeah, we'll keep fighting that now that you're stateside, you're in California, keep fighting that battle for oh, us. Yeah, out I've, there. We'll I've brought that work. up a few times on Twitter. I thought uh, mixed, you? mixed responses. Yeah. yeah. Well, we'll keep, well, uh, you got, you got me on your side. Don't worry. Yeah. Many others out there too. Well, Mike, thanks so much for the time. This has been awesome, man. Um, best of luck with everything fit for golf app. We're um, going to check it out and I hope our listeners do too. Thanks for uh, joining us. My pleasure. Thanks a lot, man. Today's episode of The Bag Drop was brought to you by our partners, Golf Blueprint, Journeyman Distillery, True Temper, and this May's NV5 Invitational. The NV5 Invitational presented by Old National Bank will return to the Glen Club in Glenview, Illinois on May 26th through 29th. To purchase tickets, volunteer, or find more information, visit nv5invitational.com. 